welcome to the RPS Pharmacene podcast, our regular podcast that takes a fresh look at the pharmacene with guests from the world of pharmacy and beyond. Now, please welcome your host. Hello and welcome to the RPS Pharmacene podcast. My name is Kira Duffy and I'm a member of the RPS English Pharmacy Board. This week, I'm delighted to welcome Ben Hannan on the podcast. Ben is the chief pharmacist at NHS Fife in Scotland, and since graduating from uni at the University of Strathclyde, he has had quite the career journey in just over 10 years. Ben, welcome. Hello, Kira. What would you say have been your career highlights to date? I've been lucky enough to have lots of different career highlights, um, but one, one of the most earlier ones if you like, has been the, the role I did with readmission prevention in Newcastle. And I was lucky enough to be in a sort of first-in-kind role working across five nurse-led teams as their pharmacy support. And that was really diverse. So we were looking to keep people from readmitting within 30 days of discharge. And I got to work with palliative care teams, A&E teams, those delivering IV homes, as well as nursing homes. And that was a really great experience early in my career because I got to do and showcase, got to learn and showcase what farms you can do sort of um, outside of the traditional clinical pharmacy sense. And, and I think that sort of gave me a platform um, working with people and systems across um, health and social care. So, so yeah, I think, I think definitely there. And probably more recently, in um, current role, I've, I've had the opportunity not only to deliver a core pharmacy role, but take on additional projects and responsibilities. So um, it was an absolute privilege to be the programme director for the COVID vaccine programme very hard work but a very very proud achievement of mine um, and more recently um, I have been the lead for setting up our um, regional NMAB neutralised monoclonal antibody service so um, within Fife um, that has involved commissioning of a, a new unit for our most vulnerable patients and, and actually in these times it's been great to use lots of different skills. It's definitely a really exciting time for pharmacy. And as you say, there's many different interfaces that pharmacists can connect with that are outside of the traditional role. For those who want to know what a chief pharmacist does, what would you say your day-to-day role looks like? So I think my role is incredibly varied. It involves a lot of working with different teams across the organisation to ensure good clinical governance. And that as a sentence may itself sound quite boring, but it's not at all. Um, I get to work with lots of different medical and and nursing colleagues, particularly looking at design of new pathways, looking at introduction of new drugs or um, supporting guidelines, but also within pharmacy in terms of how we design and deliver services. So today I've spent a lot of time with my team considering primary care processes and just how we're scaling that up across a population of 370,000. So that's been really um, quite exciting and, and that's getting into the the detail of, of what we're doing now, but also what the service should look like in the next two or three years. I think as well as that, there's a lot of just interaction with um, directors in the organisation, other general managers, and as well as my own team. So it's, it's um, there's never a dull moment. And I think that's one of the things I love about my current job. That's really interesting for your day-to-day role. How have you used your academic leadership qualifications in your current role? Probably in, in a lot of different ways. Um, as you alluded to, I, I, I did the Elizabeth Garrett Anderson programme at the NHS Leadership Academy and, and also did the MSc in Healthcare Leadership. And for context, when, when I set out to do those, um, I was in, I'd moved into managerial roles relatively quickly and I, I didn't want to be a cliche of an NHS manager that didn't have any training in any area of doing so. 
So I think, uh, you know, as pharmacists, we like being uh, good at what we do. So I, I really wanted to get some sort of academic grounding in there. Um, and so that was my motivation at the time. But actually, the journey I went on with those has been completely different. I think what I've basically discovered through that is the best thing you need to be to be a leader is to understand yourself. And if you understand yourself, you understand others better and you can influence others. So um, using those skills and, and using using what I did academically, I, I might well do um, things in terms of systems design because I, I studied leadership at the self team and organizational levels and, uh, you know, just the power of having clear strategy, purpose, objectives, vision and bringing people with you. But equally, there's a lot of softer skills that come with taking the time to do something a bit different like leadership um, as, a, as a subject. And for me, that's about just really understanding others, what drives them and putting yourself in their shoes. And a lot of this sounds really basic, but actually in terms of how you influence or get things done across the system, it's really important that you have that view and perspective of just how it all works together. I've always said as well that to be the most effective you can be in a system, you need to really fully understand it. And and I think it's really, um, I remember doing a bit of lecture in about the role of pharmacists in the NHS, and it's a very broad title. And really, if you just drop look at a schematic of how the NHS is organised, pharmacists are everywhere in the NHS, every part of it we touch in lots of different roles. And I think it's probably just about starting to understand how we work in this massive system and actually, it's not just in the traditional roles we may see, but actually we influence all parts of it because medicines are the biggest therapeutic intervention and we're therefore everywhere around them, which is bad. Pharmacy really has so many different faces that it can touch, and especially across primary and secondary care, it's a really exciting place to be. We need to diversify, you know, pharmacy and step away from the traditional image. Looking at your career to date, you've achieved such a remarkable amount in, in, in a short space of time. Do you ever experience uh, imposter syndrome, this, this phenomenon? Oh, 100% all the time. And it doesn't go away. It manifests itself differently throughout. So I think some of the things that help me deal with that, though, are knowing that even the most confident and self-assured people deal with imposter syndrome. So most, it's quite funny, I, I deal with colleagues who think, oh, but Ben's very confident, you know, you know, he can't, couldn't possibly imagine. And inside, I'm doubting myself a lot. And so, so part of me is knowing that that's just a human experience that we go through. And then the other part, key to cope with that, that I, I've sort of learned over my time is it's okay to be different and to celebrate that. And I think I worried so much about perhaps not being the stereotypical chief pharmacist in terms of if you drew one, it wouldn't be what I looked like, put it that way. And I mean, not look like, but I mean in age in terms of that, but also, you know, a career pathway in, in terms of the elements of earning your stripes as well that may, that may, some people may see you need to do. And actually, that's okay. I've got a team of very experienced people supporting me, working with me, and I work with them. And I'm not afraid to stand up and say, I don't know, ask advice of those who may actually, if you're talking about hierarchies, report to you managerially. Because you're all in it together in that respect. And I think actually I've, I've got really comfortable in that position in terms of what you bring there. So some of the best relationships I have with colleagues that I line manage, it's like partnership working almost as opposed to being, you know, your typical that. And, and I think, see, once I've sort of found my own way of, of dealing with that, it's actually just yielded much better results instead of trying to be someone you're not. 
you discussed your age. I hope you don't mind me saying this, but you were actually appointed a chief pharmacist at the ripe old age of 28 and, and you took up post in when you were 29. Do you feel in your career that your age has gone against you? Yeah, absolutely. I remember say, meeting a colleague once, asked who I was and what I was doing there. So the chief pharmacist and said, you look far too young. You know, I, don't, I think they just thought I was there to, as a student to observe a, a meeting. And that was in my first couple of weeks. And luckily, I think we, the way I've got to cope with that, and, and that colleague won't mind me saying that, and, and they're, they're no longer working. They didn't mean anything by it. But I said, oh, it's, it's great to know that uh, protective characteristics are so at the forefront of your mind. And I just had a bit of a joke about it. And actually, that turned into a great relationship um, with them. You know, I turned it into a bit of banter and called them very old several times a week after that. But it hasn't, it hasn't. I think pharmacy, whether we like to admit it or not, and and particularly managed sector pharmacies, I'm talking hospital, there's elements of insularity sometimes. So when things are a bit different or things are changing, it can be it can be quite a challenge for people around them. And um, but I think more and more we're seeing diversification in those leaders leadership posts it, it's hard as well because I have the utmost respect for colleagues that have um, got more of an organizational and historical memory and it's about respecting that and I think celebrating that however I also want to say as well some feedback I've had consistently through the career about certain things getting a bit easier with age and I think that there's elements of that and I think that's just general maturity as a person and life experience um, as well in terms of becoming uh, perhaps more patient and becoming more balanced and not letting the little things get to you as much, etc., and and that that probably comes with the, the you know the growth maturity there. So, so there's an element of age aging being um, just part of somebody who they are, who there is. But the wisdom and maturity as well isn't actually always correlative with that. So, and then there are the people, the odd, and I mean they're few and far between the odd people that just have a bit of a discriminatory review about age. They exist. I know that uh, you're passionate about inclusion and diversity, and you've touched upon it there. What is your own experience of inclusion and diversity? You know, I'm proud to say I'm I'm married to a man, I'm I'm openly gay, and I am also uh, mixed race. So my my father was uh, Iranian, my mother was Irish, they met in Brighton and moved to Scotland. So um, I've got a very mixed background growing up with a Catholic mother and a Muslim father in a household in central Scotland. Well, I suppose in the context of the modern day, you know, racism was something I experienced growing up and and uh, I think sometimes it was with um, surname, association of family, etc. I think the world's got a bit better with that, particularly where I grew up. In the workplace and in pharmacy, it's been interesting. I've had so many, and, and, I, and when I say recent, I mean a few years ago, but you know, last decade experiences of some real challenges. I think one of the most formative experiences, I suppose, was knowing that an interview panel discussed my sexuality and not really feeling empowered to challenge that because I didn't want it to affect the outcome. And that, that was that was years ago, and we won't name names or talk about that, but but that that's still an experience that haunts me in terms of the lack of appropriateness of that. And, and as such, I suppose, um, how, how that affects me now, I suppose I'm really clear about leading with authenticity. I, I'm very open about who I am and my life, and it's not a secret. And... I think I do that to try and make sure that it's a really hard question actually why do I do that I suppose I do it because it's me and it's there but actually I hope that there's an element of others just seeing that that's accepted and and you know being role modeled and I think it is a much more tolerant place we live in today and there's certainly other elements of that and I think I suppose 
over time, I've got a lot more confident in calling out behaviours that are less than appropriate in terms of inclusion and diversity. So, and, and luckily in my current workplace, I've never been more supported to be yourself and, and to live it in that manner. But there certainly um, have been challenges over the over the years in terms of um, behaviours of others and uh, often stemming from places of ignorance, but actually just um, feeling empowered to call that out and show that it's okay to be who you are is really important. And I think I see the wider inclusion and diversity work ongoing in the profession. And I think that's fantastic. I think it's got um, a big place. And I think I, I love the work that's being done about professional belonging and the wide diversity we've got in the profession. Um, I think we have got a, such a rich diversity, both culturally um, and, and otherwise in the profession. And actually celebrating that is so important. Yeah. And of course, Amandeep has done such great work uh, with the RPS on this. The work of the ABCD group is great. And I love the word belonging on that. I love that sort of professional belonging idea because sometimes in a profession like pharmacy where you might not feel that you always fit in, and I've certainly been there, belonging is so important. So actually seeing other people talk about belonging, what that means to them actually helps you feel like you belong to, no matter if you don't, you know, you might not be the stereotype, but you've got other elements of it there. So I think it's quite um, really important. Thank you, Ben, for sharing your personal experience around inclusion and diversity. Can we speak a little bit about the future of pharmacy and really where where do you see the general direction in secondary care, primary care going? What are the challenges and what are the opportunities for, for pharmacists? Oh, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I think there are so many opportunities for us at this moment and I think we need to be bold and grasp them so um, in secondary care if we start we're seeing um, increased acuity decreased length of stay and actually um, we've had that little pandemic thing over the last couple of years that we're going to need to recover from um, and that's going to require increased activity that's going to require increased roles and increased NDT working and I think we need to adapt grow and and diversify in that I'm also going to be a little bit brave here and say we need to let go of things that aren't value adding. So um, within the advances in technology, I hope to see things um, that, that are very important to patient safety, but um, things that need to potentially automate. And that could include medicines reconciliation and other more administrative sort of style clinical tasks to allow us to focus on direct clinical care, whether that's at the point of prescribing, ward round clinics, and I actually lead that. We've done this in lots of different places in the, in the country across the UK, but we need to get this uniform in the sense that pharmacists cannot be a second checker of other people's work. Um, we need to move from being the safety net to being a clinical profession that safeguard in a different way. So, so I think that, that's my vision, certainly in the secondary care. I think the role of pharmacy support workers and pharmacy technicians as well needs to um, grow, expand and support. And again, there's just so much opportunity if we're brave Interestingly, today, you asked me about my day earlier, and I had a really good conversation with the senior team about risk and how risk averse we are as a profession. And I had an example of something that they scored as a very high risk. And uh, I said, if you put that in front of a, the doctor, they would score that risk completely differently because you're talking about a theoretical pharmacological thing there that may or may not affect an outcome for a patient that may or may not result in another disease state. How do we change the way we look at risk or or do we change the way we look at risk? Do we need to stay where we are in terms of being those risk controllers? And I think that's questions that the profession needs to come together and answer. 
because it's not it's just from my opinion to say that. I think that's that's what the, that's the beauty of what pharmacy is, us coming together and deciding and shaping that way. I think as well in terms of risk, and I was discussing it with my team, they are pharmacists are quite happy about the patient in front of them being perfect and the risk there. But what's the risk of the 19 other patients you don't see because you're spending 100% of your time on one thing getting it right? And I mean that in its broadest sense, you know, um, so, so, so how are we reprioritizing? And um, so I, I think there's some really difficult challenges we've got to ask ourselves as a profession, particularly in the hospital setting there. And, and I think as we move um, with the educational reforms as well, we're going to have pharmacists coming out as prescribers on day one. How do we utilize that? How do we make the roles that we're, that we're getting the best value from the public money for this? Because I think that's really key for me too. I sat in a national meeting a year or so ago saying, Somebody said, oh, they might, they might not use their prescribing qualification in every rotation. And I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, if that's the case, I think we've got it wrong. We need to design every job that pharmacists prescribers are utilising their skills. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, there's something in that and that challenge. And then, and then I suppose more widely in primary care, because my role covers primary care too, and, and that's arguably even more complex. So general practice across the UK is incredibly challenged with both workforce demand, and sustainability and, and I think pharmacy's got a really important role to play there so I think there's a lot of um I think general practice pharmacy still in its infancy in lots of ways there's lots of really good bits um and there's other bits I suppose of just um finding our way and, and I think to be honest if I was being a bit um idealistic and maybe a bit thinking about a utopia I would love to see as we've done in, in in my current role I'd love to see integration of care especially for pharmacy I would love to see the ability especially as we're talking about you know, changing to postgraduate education, foundation programmes, post-registration foundation training. I'd love to see structured training through different sectors of pharmacy. I'd love to see that path. I'd love to see the right infrastructure there to develop that because I think there's richness in all elements of that and, and really modernising pharmacy careers in that respect. So I think there's, there's huge scope and potential for that. One of the things I will say, and it's, it's uh, something I get in my head um, quite a lot, when, I, when, when we were at university here, they would have said to us, so pharmacists prescribing, it's great if there's a place for it, but, you know, you know, we've got to, it's not always, uh, it's not the panacea, and now we can't imagine people not being prescribers. So there's maybe something about success might be that in 10, 15 years, the profession doesn't even look like how we can imagine it because it's evolved so much. And, and, that, and that for me is a bit of a success statement and seeing how roles might have evolved and continued and grown. Just on your journey um, thus far, what has been the best piece of career advice that, that you've been given? So yeah, I suppose one of the one of the one of my um, colleagues who was a great mentor and great friend and, and sadly passed away a, a few years ago, um, used to always talk about being the man in the arena. And it was a Teddy Roosevelt quote from one of his presidential speeches and and, and that really that's about it's really important to always try. And if you can stand and say you've tried your best put yourself out there put your head above the parapet and um, stuck your neck out then even if you fail you can stand tall and it's much better being that person that's had the courage of conviction to try and do and make change than being somebody on the sidelines who's critical and and i think um we've got lots of critics on the sidelines sometimes um that, that maybe don't um that, you know captain hindsight as i like to call them or all sorts of other things but actually for me I try and live by that. Actually, it's always best to put yourself out there and try. And uh, so that, that's been one of the key things that stuck with me. I'll give you another one. Um, and this person might be listening to it, but when I was a junior pharmacist, somebody 
uh, one one of my early on mentors who's got a lot of time for a good friend now uh, said to me after hearing me moan about my different deadlines said it sounds like you need to JFDI then and um, I'll let I'm not going to use expletives on this podcast but I'll let the listeners look up what JFDI means so sometimes I think then you need to JFDI. Uh, do you have any book recommendations for our listeners Ben? Yeah, there's two I'd like to really recommend, and and they've got different um, purposes and reasons. So one I got for Christmas, and actually um, it's the Comfort Book by Matt Haig, and that is just full of nice, inspiring pieces of advice, quotes, and you don't read it, well, I don't read it cover to cover, but I'm feeling a bit anxious, feeling a bit down, feeling a bit tough day. It's a nice thing to flick through, full of positive affirmations, kind words, and lots of things. And I think there's something in that that anyone can take away, so would recommend that. From a leadership perspective, one of the most powerful books I have read is called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni, and it is a leadership fable. And what it is, is it's a story that I won't spoil, but it's about a new CEO that comes in um, to an organisation and, and has a bit of a review to make that te- uh, the, the executive team work very cleverly together. And what it does is it combines leadership theory with story. So if you're a bit like me who doesn't like dry reading, it's much easier to read, then read the theory after, then apply it. And I use a lot of that every day in terms of how I work with people and how I do it. I read it, I think, you know, in a few hours, it's easy reads. Um, and, and, and I just love the, the, the advice in there, but also the things. So, you know, it's really all about how you establish trust with others and actually how that is the foundation for everything. So I would really recommend that it's a, it's a good read. So uh, Ben, if someone today is listening and is inspired by your journey, what advice would you give them from a pharmacy perspective? There's a couple of ways I look at my career. I don't look at bands, grades, titles. I look about trying to feel challenged and make a difference. So it's not about a linear path. There's no one right path. And that's okay. You know, I went from being a hospital pharmacist to a primary care pharmacist to a hospital pharmacist to being both at a chief level, you know? So I think um, lots of people have opinions. Um, I think it's about feeling what's right for you and doing that. And and I think the other thing, you know, a lot of people ask me, oh, what are you going to do next? Or are you not better young to stay in the job? Nothing's forever. And actually, you know, I think there's, again, coming back to my millennial point of view, that may be a bit different. I'm young now. I've got lots of energy, lots of ideas, lots of enthusiasm, and I can work all hours, um, God send if I need to. Why not get the best out of me at this level? I might want to go back and do more clinical patient-facing practice in a few years' time. I might want to go and do something else. I might want to do lots, and I think it's about trying to live in that moment a bit more as well. So, so I think for me, it's about exposing yourself to lots of different people and you're not anyone else, you're you. You're going to find your own path and you're going to find what's right for you and what might be right for somebody you truly and deeply respect and admire and, and you know want to emulate might not be the right decision or choice or path for you and that's okay. So I think it's just about sort of gaining that comfort in your own skin. And again, I'll come back to that word authenticity. I think uh, that is your take-home message uh, today about being authentic, which is a, a really lovely sentiment. Thank you so much for your time, Ben. Um, It's been a great conversation and I hope our listeners um, have taken a lot out of it like I have. Thank you for listening to the RPS Pharmacy Podcast. If you know someone interesting from the world of pharmacy and beyond, please get in touch with the hashtag RPS Pharmacy on Twitter. See you next time. 